This is Brian Kaplovitz, and you're listening to the Speaker Match Radio Series, Success Strategies for Speakers from the Pros. This is a live show where we interview top experts in the speaking industry and business to provide emerging speakers with marketing strategies and other business building advice. If you're listening live, you can participate in this call online right now by going to speakermatch.com slash radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Brian Kaplowitz, and our guest today is longtime member James Bird Guest. And James is the founder of the Cash Cow Consultant Conference. He has a rags to riches story where he was a homeless man after high school, and he managed to build a quarter million dollar business from the trunk of his car. He is now a world renowned consultant, keynote speaker and CEO of the International Success Academy, which is a management consulting firm advising business leaders on strategic leadership and employment engagement. And even though James has been a member for nine or so years, we've really never had a chance to discuss his success with Speaker Match. James has managed to book a lot of great engagements over the years, and I'll do my best to pull out some strategies for those of you listening. The topic of today's call is Cash Cow Consultants, Becoming a Seven-Figure Subject Matter Expert. I'm sure many of you are wondering what a cash cow consultant is and how you can achieve a seven-figure business. Well, get your notepads ready because we're going to get started right now. Thanks so much for being with us today, James. Good afternoon. Thank you, Brian, for having me. It's, it's an honor to, to finally do one of these with you all. So I feel like it's been a long time in the making. So I appreciate you having me today. Yeah, well, you have been around a long time. You tell me you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, which is great. So uh, you know that we really like to to pack in information. And I know you've got a lot of information to share with people. Yes, yes, I do. I mean, I think this is you know, I, I've learned so much over 10 years since I started out as a really as a motivational speaker and really made that transition into a what I call a cash cow consultant, which is really just a management consultant. But that's just the brand that I that I, that I was using as a cash cow consultant. So I've learned so much and I, and I want to be able to share with the members because I know there's some some probably some people that just signed up for speaker match that are hungry to get their speaking career started and and consulting and just looking for all different types of nuggets and wisdom. So I'm excited to share. Definitely. You mentioned in your uh, bio that uh, you really you have a true rags to riches story. You came from being homeless after high school. Mm-hmm. Can you talk uh, just briefly about how how you went from homeless to being a speaker? Sure. Yeah, real briefly. So um, long story short, didn't, me and my mom really didn't see eye to eye. One night she packed my clothes in black trash bags, told me I had to get out of the house. I'm a teenager. Um, slept in my car that first night, wondering I was going to live. Me and my older brother, car got repoed, uh, working odd jobs. And, you know, I didn't, I felt like I was, I was going through a whole lot. And so I started going to bookstores. I'd go to half price books, Barnes and Noble at the time. And I'd stay in there all day reading their, you know, reading books for free because I couldn't afford to pay for them uh, while I'm working odd jobs. I like the car wash, Burlington Co-Factory. And that was, that was your library, huh? 
That was my library. Absolutely. Yeah, that was. And I, like I said, I stay in there all day reading books for free because I couldn't afford to pay for them at the time. And then I, I got a list of the whole uh, list of the Forbes billionaires and I started just studying. I'm like, what do these guys have that I don't have, you know, besides all the money? Right. <laughs> so um, I, I was trying to think about, OK, what business do I want to start? And I knew I liked clothing. And at this time, this was around, um, you know, 97 96, 97, where hip hop clothing was really starting to take off. And I started really getting involved in selling designer clothing. And I, I bought an old cash car after my car got repoed. I saved up a little bit of money, bought a cash car, and I started selling clothing products in the trunk of my car all over Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I worked so hard at it that I started to get good at it. And so I eventually made a quarter million dollars selling clothes in the trunk of my car. By the way, that, that was my first book. And then people had started, you know, but long story short, I, I didn't, I got tired of doing it. It wasn't my passion, right? It wasn't my passion. I was doing it just to make money because I was broken. I was homeless and I didn't want to be broken, homeless and have my car repoed again. So I said, I've got to figure out how to become a millionaire. That was my goal at that time. So I was making a lot of money, selling a lot of clothes, but it wasn't, it wasn't my passion. So I liquidated, sold the clothes. Um, I eventually had a clothing store. I sold the clothing store. I bought my first rental property in DeSoto, Texas while I was in my 20s. And then people started asking me to come um, speak about, hey, how did you how did you go from being homeless to being an entrepreneur to making a quarter million from the trunk of your car? And at the time, Brian, I didn't know you can get paid to be a speaker. OK, <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm like this. I, I was like, well, I, I can come speak to your nonprofit or I can come speak to your mentor group. I was just speaking in South Dallas and West Dallas. These are really disadvantaged communities where I would go to these nonprofits and I just start sharing my ideas. You know, I, I didn't feel like anything was really special about me, except I, I, I learned some few things and I applied a work ethic. And I, I think I felt anyone could do it if they just had some exposure, some knowledge about it. And that's when I really started researching speaking. I was like, okay, that's when I first uh, got engaged with Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, you know, the old classic speakers, Tony Robbins. I'm like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? People are, people are really getting paid just by speaking to people. And for me, it was, it was, I was like, wow, okay, I, I got to get on this. I got to figure out how to do this. So uh, that's where it kind of, kind of really started with me. Well, that, you know, that, that's such a common story with people that they didn't realize that speaking was a business, especially a mm -hmm. uh, lucrative business. Um, and uh, I, I know that a lot of people that are listening right now are, are going to uh, really hear that story and it's going to resonate with them. Mm -hmm. um, did, did your speaking become your main source of income or is it something that you do in addition to other business. All right. So this is also um, one of the hardest lessons to learn. So in the process of me going from selling clothes to having a clothing store to selling all of my all of my inventory, buying a rental property, just one rental property. So I couldn't live off just one rental property. I was I, I got a website, got a business card, started to really market myself. This is when I first started learning about um, speaker match, you know, as well. Like I said, this was um, so you you were wind back. I kind of started floating this idea, but about 2008, 2009, roughly. So I was homeless for um, for a few for a few years. Um, then I got into some trouble, legal legally got into some trouble. Um, then around 2002, that's when I really started selling clothes from the trunk of my car. 
Um, and then between 2002 and 2006 is kind of when I, you know, stopped selling clothes and I started really thinking about uh, being a consultant and a speaker around that time. And that's when I kind of really got and found with Speaker Match. So it wasn't my main source of income at the time. I, I pretty much went broke trying to make the transition from being an entrepreneur, selling, having a clothing store to being a speaker. I, I, I pretty much, I always like to say this, I made a quarter million dollars from the trunk of my car, but I damn near lost it all trying to become a speaker. And the reason why is because I knew I was a good speaker, but no one had heard of me. So no one was really trying to pay me to speak early on in the beginning. And it was hard to make that transition. Ah, so you decided that you were going to be a speaker and uh, there was that, that was it. That was your primary focus, but you hadn't really nailed down how to operate it as a sustainable speaking business. Is that correct? Right, right. Absolutely right. And see, I didn't know because I wanted to speak to, you know, the corporations, the college. But here's the thing. I didn't, you know, when you're someone who's just homeless and became an entrepreneur and so close to the trunk of your car and you talk about your philosophy, my, my philosophy is what I call grinding, grinding for greatness. I, I don't know how I, I was trying to figure out how do I make this message receptive to a corporate audience of managers and executives. I mean, what, you know, it's kind of like it's, I mean, it's a great story, but how does it help add value to a corporation or a college besides just being a feel-good story for entertainment? So I wasn't really sure that I was going to be able to um, have a message besides just maybe you can do a one-off event, and that and that's why I'll talk later on about how to go from a speaker to a consultant. But yeah, I wasn't sure my message of being homeless and having what I call a hustler grinding mentality is going to resonate with a with a corporate audience or an audience that'd be willing to pay for this, pay for that message. If you just joined us, this is Brian Kaplovitz, and I'm on the line with James Bird Guest. He's talking to us about uh, becoming a seven-figure subject matter expert called a cash cow consultant. And uh, later on, we're going to give you opportunities to join in, or actually you can let us know anytime uh, that you you have a question or would like to make a comment. Just dial star two on your telephone keypad, or if, you've used the, if you're using the web call interface, click on the raise hand button to, uh, to let me know that you have a question. There's also a form online at speakermatch.com slash radio on the uh, page for this teleseminar where you can type in questions that you might have. Uh, James, you mentioned that uh, consulting somehow fits into this big picture. What, what exactly is the speaker versus consultant uh, uh, formula for you? Okay. So, um, first of all, what I realized, Brian, is that when I first started, even when I first bought my first subscription to Speaker Match, and I was really going out here and branding myself. So here's here's something, some uh, here's a fun fact for you, Brian. The moment I became a speaker, I set the bar so ridiculously high for myself. I, I pretty much coined my my own um, moniker. I called myself the Michael Jordan of motivation because I right I, and that, that was kind of my brand, the Michael Jordan of motivation. And so I said I'm going to go through and I'm going to be a better speaker than anybody in the world. I'm like if you put me on the stage, I was just that competitive. I'm like I know I can speak and deliver a message better than any speaker in the world. 
That's that was the bar. I mean, that was me, you know, because I'd, I'd be practicing in my hotel rooms. I'd be practicing in my apartment. I'm talking to walls and chairs like they're real people. I was practicing my delivery, perfecting my content. And that, and, I, and I, that was that was the bar that I set for myself. The only but I made a huge mistake. I branded myself as a speaker. And now I'm forced to chase these events. Otherwise, I'm going to stay broke. And I'm, I mean, what I mean by that is I got to go from one event to the next event. Next, and, and to me, for me, it, unless you are at a Tony Robbins type of level, because, I, again, I wanted to be a seven figure. I wanted to be a millionaire speaker. And I'm like, man, this is this is really, really this is harder than what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, I know I'm good enough. I know I'm just as good as all these other um, speakers that I see getting fifty thousand dollars for a one hour keynote or thirty thousand or twenty thousand. But that's when I realized that. I had to really rebrand myself, and I started going after a different target market. I got, I got tired of chasing events, and I went to what I call creating curriculum and really tapped into the corporate market of training and being a consultant versus a speaker. And Brian, is a big, big difference with that. Let me give you another example. Once I started going after government contracts as a consultant, there was one contract that was worth $100,000 over two years to provide a variety of training all throughout the year for about 30 to 40 managers. And I was, I was sure that I had would have got, got awarded this uh, proposal because I looked when, it, when you're going after a public contract, a government contract, you can see all of your competitors. You, it's kind of, it's, it's open disclosure where you can see all the people who are bidding on the same project as you. So I went, I checked them out. I reviewed their websites. I looked at past clients. I kind of looked at how, how, what their, um, what their competitive advantage was compared to me. And I was like, there's no way based on the experience, based on the delivery. And I knew my cost was competitive. I knew I should have won this government contract. And when I talk with the, the people who were on the kind of overseeing the um, the interview process and awarding of the contracts, I asked them because they told me I lost it. And I said, I said, OK, I just want to ask you all, what, what was it that I did you all feel like I didn't bring or what value? And one of the ladies, she told me, she's like, well, you know, no, you, it was really good. Your proposal was great. It's just that we needed more of a consultant. We didn't necessarily need a motivational speaker. And that for me. Losing that, I said, and, and what happened was I found out more detail. Once you, once I was interviewing for these um, proposals, they would they would go out and they would research and Google search the, the 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 person who was trying to win the contract. And everything that came up about James Bird Guest, if you Googled me, it said motivation, motivational speaker, 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 speaker. It, it, it said nothing about being a management consultant who could create organizational value with a corporation or government agency. So it almost felt like they were gonna, they didn't want an entertainer. They wanted an actual consultant. And, that, and to me, if, if a lot of people, I know sometimes people say oh, it's just semantics or the same thing. It's a big difference in how you deliver value and how your clients perceive that value. OK, so instead of me chasing, going after, you know, three thousand dollars for one hour here, or five thousand for one hour here. I want to go after two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollar contracts you know, over the course and have those locked up into annual or, or um, two, three year agreements. That was the biggest transition for me, Brian. So you became a consultant who speaks as opposed to a speaker who does consulting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I, that's it. I mean, that's very well said. And to me, 
<laughs> the hardest thing, though, is this, though. Once you brand yourself as a speaker, <laughs> everyone knows you as a speaker, speaker, speaker. Motivation, motivation, motivation. Remember, I told them I'm the Michael Jordan motivation. That was the first thing on their mind. It stained their brain. Now, when I try to say, hey, I'm a management consultant, I can do all these other things, it's kind of like, well, they already see you as a speaker. It's kind of hard to say, oh, you can also do employee engagement surveys. You can create multiple uh, trainings. You can you can do strategic executive retreats. So it's kind of hard to see that when we've just known you as just doing a 30 to 45 minute feel good. Hey, you know, knock it out the park motivational speech. Does that make sense? That is very that is very, very, very true. Um, yeah. There are there are plenty of people that you see or people know about in other lines of work, and they think it would be great if they could come talk to my group about whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So you 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 uh, kind of rebranded yourself as a consultant. Uh, yeah. Did you? I had two. I had two websites. On your Brian. website. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Two different websites. What, what I, else? Well, did I, had, you do? I had two websites. Oh, I had a speak. Well, here's the thing. I had a speaker website that was just awesome. Oh man, it was. Again, and this was some years ago. This was, you know, this is when everybody finally realized. I looked at a lot of speaker websites. They were just so old and outdated. Um, this was right. Be, really, really, everyone now has transitioned onto the WordPress platform. Now everyone uses templates for the most part because it's so easy, and you can tell who's using a template and who's kind of not using a template. Um, and so, uh, I actually took my speaker website down. I paid thousands of dollars for it, but I, I deleted it. I took it. I, I say I delete. I still have it, but I took it down. And the reason I took it down is because it was already in the Google search. Anytime you Google James Bird Guest, the first thing that's coming up is motivation, motivation, motivation. So after I started losing some of these government contracts, these were these five figures, you know, six figure contracts. I'm like, no, I, I have to take them down. And I took them down and I, and I created another website that just focused on the management consulting piece of it. Now a lot of people, a lot of speakers would have just left it up. They like, I spent that money on it. I don't care. I'll, I'll leave it up. But no, you to me, you have to be willing to make tough choices. You have to be knowing what you will do, but you also have to know what you won't do, and you got to make those tough choices. Even though you may lose a little money on it, but that's fine. You know, Southwest Airlines they lose billions of dollars by not charging bag fees, but they do it for a reason. It's part of their brand. So. You, you uh you you made this change. How did you go about uh actually developing your consultant business and what was the real uh was the main goal to be, to get a um consulting business developed and still develop your speaking uh was your goal really speaking but you had this consulting as a front end image how did how did that play together? For me, they were kind of really integrated. Like, you know, I love, don't get me wrong, I love going out, doing a keynote. You know, you feel like a rock star on stage. You got hundreds of thousands of people waiting for you to hear a message and you're getting them pumped up. But I always felt that, you know, I always felt like I wanted to do more for people because I really wanted to help add value. Like I could come motivate you. And, I, and we really can't motivate anyone, but I can come inspire you for 30 to 45 minutes. But I was always really concerned about how, how many of them actually follow up and do what I say. And we, and we know from research that many people don't. Probably less than 2% of the audience will actually take what you say in a motivational speech or a keynote speech and apply it. So, you know, 
for me, when I do trainings now, whether it's uh, executive training or executive coaching, for me, I get the same um, fulfillment or enrichment in my message, even though I'm not on, on a stage. But anytime I'm in a conference room uh, or, or, or just doing coaching online, I feel like I'm still on that stage. But I feel like I'm getting more value. So for me, it's that more personal enrichment. But but I'm going to be honest with you, Brian. It's not just the personal enrichment. It was also about it was for me. My goal is also to build wealth. Because um, I come from a very poor, poor family, so that's always stuck in the back of my mind. So it it it, it is about building wealth, but it's also about m- making sure that I enjoy building wealth. Otherwise, I could still be in a clothing store today selling clothes, making a couple hundred thousand dollars every year. Um, but here, I wanted to build wealth. I wanted to build wealth exponentially with consulting. That's the key. I wanted to, now. I didn't want incremental wealth. I wanted to go from you know. 50, 60, 70,000 a year to be able to make in, to be a millionaire consultant. Okay. And, um, but also having that enrichment, that personal enrichment, the feeling like that, you know what? I'm really adding some value. I'm, I'm seeing how I'm impacting the culture of a corporation. I'm saw how this executive went from being very condescending to their employees to now he's learning how to be a more effective leader. I've seen those changes. And for me, now I know my messages and my concepts are impacting people. Okay. Brian, with this with consulting, I, I train there's a there's a there's an island off of Alaska called St. Paul Island. And there's only five hundred people on this old island. It's called it's the Alu tribe. It's a it's a native Native American tribe off St. Paul Island, Alaska. Only five hundred people. I have trained the entire leadership on that island. From the police, the city, the tribal leaders. I've impacted an entire island of native people of 500. That was very fulfilling to me. And I go back there every year. Um, so it's the wealth component, but it's also the enrichment piece. All right. Once again, we're speaking with James Bird. And if you have a question, now is a great time to click the raise hand button. Click the raise hand button on your web call interface or dial star two if you're dialed in by phone. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, Tell me how you uh, you began to put in place a system of generating recurring revenue. Okay, so one of the things that I want uh, everyone on the call to understand is there's a concept that I that I that I kind of really talk about, and I didn't develop it or come up with it. It's a scientific concept. It's called critical mass. Okay. And I'm sure some of us have kind of heard of critical mass, but critical mass to me is is the point at which a consultant has really achieved true kind of self-sustainability. And you don't necessarily need to do – this is going to sound crazy, right? It's going to sound crazy. You don't necessarily need to do significant marketing and investment to remain economically viable, okay? Now, that doesn't sound right because in business, you should kind of always be marketing – but for some people, and I'm going to say for cash cow consultants, don't get me wrong, you don't start out that way, you build it up. But once you reach critical mass, okay, and, 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 and then you don't necessarily have to do as much marketing as you did, okay, in a sense. So um, for someone just starting out, let's say someone just signed up for Speaker Match, one of the first things I would tell them is that you have to, um, you really have to, not, I would say, don't 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 brand yourself as a speaker. I would say brand yourself as a consultant. But what I also say this: don't try to be a better speaker. Some of you out there are trying too hard to become a better speaker 
when what you probably have to focus on is being a better marketer. Okay. Now that sounds so good, Brian. I'm gonna give myself a virtual high five here. All right. I'll say that again. <laughs> Stop trying to be a better speaker and start being a better marketer. And I and I'll tell you this because here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I always think you should try to improve yourself, but it, you know. Stop trying to write a better book and just write the book and start marketing the book. And 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 the people have to realize that you're spending so much time. And like right now, I could still be trying to figure out how to be a better speaker, but that's not going to really lead to that pipeline of revenue. I've got to get in front of decision makers, um, and I've got to get in the right. I've got to find out where that target market hangs out. And I got to always say this: Don't worry about becoming a famous speaker. And again, I know this sounds crazy. Be famous to your target market. Okay, and let me give you an example of that. Um, for example, right now, I am famous with the United States Army. United States Army is probably my number one client right now. Okay, this is, um, this is a, a six-figure client alone by itself. Many, all, the Army has all these different commands, the, the, uh, the Instant National Management Command, the MedCom Command. I am training thousands of people, thousands of people in the Army internationally. Brian, I just got back from Italy in January. Okay, um, compliments of the United States Army. I was in Venice, Rome, and Italy for an entire week, and I only trained three people. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I got a chance to enjoy the rest of the one week with my wife, uh, courtesy of the U.S. Army, because of the value they feel I'm delivering. Um, and here's the thing. They know me. I'm famous in the Army, but some of your some of the uh, people on your call right now, they probably never heard of James Bird guest before. I'm OK with that. I'm not trying to be famous to everyone. I'm trying to be famous to my target market. OK, and that's what I want. That's what and that's how you start building that pipeline of revenue. Something else, um, a couple of other ideas, because I want to make sure that I'm giving people something to chew on. I don't want to just talk about me. Um, I would also say this. Every. Every quarter. You should be asking your existing clients every quarter for at least three references. So look at it. Every three months, ask, I, I kind of call it triple threat. Every three months, ask three of your top clients for three references. All right, three, three, three. So y'all write that down in your notes. Every three months, quarterly, ask three of your top clients for three references. Now, some people are going to say, well, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to bother or be a burden to my top clients and ask them every three months. Here's the thing. They're probably, what you don't realize is this. They're not, if you ask them every three months, they're not even going to remember you asking them the last three months in a sense, because they're so busy. They're busy, busy, busy. They got priorities going on. They got personal life. They're not even going to remember. For a lot of times you just got to get clients at the right time, but you got to kind of, you got to kind of really, um, uh, get on their mind and, in a, and stay on their mind in a positive way. But you want to ask for those references from your top clients because you don't have to, it's, it's very, it's that's to me, that's a free customer acquisition a free client acquisition. It is very hard, as you know, Brian, just being in business to try to acquire, um, you know, new members on speaker match. When you could, if you could just have a, a speaker on speaker match recommended to another speaker, that's a free customer acquisition that lowers your marketing expenses and costs. And that's what we really have to do. And a lot of people are scared to ask their clients frequently for references. They go to conferences. They go to trainings. They do these things. They bump into people just because they don't have a reference right now. Say, well, they didn't have any three months ago. I don't want to ask them again. You never know what's happened or taken place. They hooked up with someone on LinkedIn. There was, a, there was an HR director from someone they hadn't seen since high school or something like that. So you never, never know 
when you're going to be able to get a reference and that and you let them sell you let them sell you to that potential client that that'll become that i've gotten so much i've gotten so much um business that way um it's been, that it's been ridiculous and and you know i i get to the point now where i've been so busy with new clients i haven't had time to focus on what i call my rpas my rpas are what i call revenue producing activities um, you know, and, and what I mean by that, Brian, is now I'm at critical mass. It's hard for me to do that because I'm generating so much revenue and I've got to work for so much clients with, with my small consultant team. But every, every week I would look at my calendar and I would put an RPA by it. And that RPA stands for a revenue producing activity. So I try to focus 80% of my time in my typical work week. Okay. Whenever I'm not speaking or training, 80% of my time should be focusing on revenue producing activities. The other 20% could be administrative things, you know, looking at my looking at my cash flow forecast, doing paperwork, whatever that may be. But 80% of my business, my time needs to be focusing on revenue producing activities. And that's how I would build my day. But now I'm at critical mass. But see, I'm not I'm running scared. I'm not trying to get to the point where, oh, I'm I'm making all this money now. I can just rest on my laurels. That's not me. I come from somebody who's homeless. So, Brian, I'm always acting like I'm two paychecks away from being homeless again. All right. So, all right. Uh, looks like we have a couple of callers with questions. Uh, first is Trevor. Go ahead, Trevor. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Okay. Awesome. Let me unplug my uh, computer thing. So So with us, Trevor? All right, Trevor, I'm going to move on to uh, somebody else. I'll come right back to you. Uh, next person uh, raised your hand. Uh, go ahead. I don't have a name here. Hello? It's from Oakland. Hello, caller. All right. Trevor, you back? Third time's a charm. Trevor? Well, we had you for a second. I'm going to go ahead and lower your hand, Trevor. Just raise it again when you think you're ready. All right. And uh, let's see if anybody in uh, put in any questions. Um, while I go through these, uh, let's just we'll, – we'll move on a little bit right now. Okay. Um, you talk about um, – did we did we talk about the lead generation that you're using uh, speaker match for lead generation? Nope. Love to talk about it. No, um, didn't didn't so really touch that. Yeah. So let's talk nope. about that a little. Sure. So so first of all, um, for those of you, I know there's some people on this call that probably just signed up for speaker match. Okay. So I'm gonna of course I'm gonna tell you I think it's the the, the most cost effective investment I think you'll make as a speaker. Again, I'm not just saying that because Brian, I'm on a teleseminar or anything like that. <laughs> I, I hesitated to do this in 2010. Okay, I hesitated. Saying, well, I think I started off paying $30 a month. I think the first level, I can't remember, it's been so long ago. I moved up to what I think was called the gold level, where I was paying like $50 a month because I, I knew how important video was. And I think you could add like four or five videos. Um, and I hesitated to do that because I'm like, uh, kind of sorted through and I'm like, okay, I wasn't really sure. But it's so critical, um, and, it, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier: is that you got to have a pipeline of potential new clients. Um, 
I've got I've got five to six um, lead generation um, sources that I use, and Speaker Match is 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 in those is in that top five that I use. And since 2010, I'm going to I estimate I kind of looked at all the different speaking uh, engagements that led to what I call residual revenue because. You know, since 2010, I estimated that I had a 2,000% return on the investment. Now, this is me saying this. I had 2,000% return on investment. I, I figured that if I spent $50 a month on Speaker Match, $600 a year, based off what I got over 10 years, oh, my goodness. It was ridiculous. Um, and so here's the thing. Not just what I booked off Speaker Match, because a lot of times when I get booked on Speaker Match, well, here's the thing. Now that I, it's kind of like I have the, I, I go out and I deliver for the customer. If I knock it out the park and deliver on that value, guess what? They're going to bring me back the next year or the next quarter, next month. I've got them in my uh, customer database now where I'm able to send them newsletters and keep them there. And that's recurring, uh, what I call residual revenue, uh, from Speaker Match. Um, some of my top government clients that I've got off that the U.S. the U.S. Department of Interior, uh, the United States uh, Air Force, the Los Angeles Air Force Base came from Speaker Match. Uh, remember, I told you I was famous in the Army. Now I'm working on the Air Force. Okay, um, there's a, there's multiple school districts that uh, that I've acquired through Speaker Match as well. So um, it's been phenomenal. But you have to have different lead sources of generation. Now some of them, again, you kind of get what you pay for. There's some out there that may be a little bit more free. Um, again, I think you got to try out kind of what works for you. Um, in my Cash Cow Consultant Conference coming up in May, I'll, I'll kind of talk about some more of those. But but, but Speaker Match definitely uh, has been helpful uh, with some of those clients that I that I tell you with. But also let me let me do this, Brian. I'm going to give people my formula for Speaker Match. Now, why why am I going to do this? Why am I going to tell you guys how I get a lot of bookings and residual revenue off Speaker Match? Well, one. I, because I think there's enough uh, revenue for everyone, uh, for all the members on Speaker there Match. There is definitely and... enough work to go around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not a person who has a scarcity mentality. I like to be – I believe in abundance. So I also believe that I'm a, I, I know my value and I know my, my, uh, my resume, and I think that people are going to uh, choose whoever they think is the best fit for them. And based on their style and the delivery, so but I, I want to share with it because I, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be able to generate revenue and be successful regardless if I give people my formula or not. So my formula for speaker matches is first of all, um, I like to be write this down genuinely first in the customer's mind. I like to be genuinely first in the customer's mind. And let me tell you what I mean by genuinely first. You guys get those same speaker match job alerts that I do, and I love seeing them, Brian. Every time I get come in my email, I'm like, what do we got today? What's on the menu? Okay? And here's the thing. Some speakers on speaker match, the moment they get those job alerts, they say, okay, how much is this? Where is it at? Is it a good fit for me? Can I deliver? Boom. They've already got some copy and paste type of um, – template that maybe they may use and they just give a general template hey i'm a great speaker me 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 i'm great i've done this i'm the best speaker i'm this whatever it's all kind of about them 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 okay and what i mean by that is they may be the first application that that customer sees but it's not really genuine and what i mean by that is let me tell you what i mean when i say be genuinely first um i will research 
that client, that customer. I'm going to go to that website. I try to find out what is their vision, what is their mission, what is their core values. Do they use any company or organizational mantras or mottos? And I use those as what I call triggers in my application. Okay. Let me give you an example. One company, they had uh, one of their acronyms was called FUEL or something like that. You know, it was F-U-E-L. And it was a little acronym that said something like, you know, engaged, uh, excellence or leader, whatever it was. Well, I'm going to take that FUEL and I'm going to put that in my, um, I'm going to tailor it to that request for that proposal for that client. So I'm going to take their core value. I'm going to say, hey, you know, um, James Bird, yes, this is what distinguishes me. Hey, I, I, I understand your core values of this. I don't think you need an off-the-shelf type of speaker. I think you need a speaker who's going to know what your values are, what your mission is, and then tailor that to your audience so to make it more practical for them um, when they hear this message. Because I said that really every client wants a return on the investment. When they bring a speaker in, they want a return on an investment. Okay, and I want to and I want to show them how to maximize that return on the investment. Um, so I try to be genuinely first, meaning I do my homework, I do my due diligence, and it's almost like a almost like a recruiter looking at a resume. A lot of times uh, now it's automated, but what they still look for is they look for keywords, trigger words, and for me those trigger words are things that 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 person on speaker match who's requesting it they're already familiar with hearing that vision, that mission, the core values. Why? Because they're at that company. So if I start using those trigger words, it kind of distinguishes me from a lot of the rest of the other speakers that are out here. OK. Um, and so keep in mind, these these um, these people who are you know submitting these requests for proposals on speaker match, they're going to get speaker fatigue very quickly. You know why? Because everyone on this call, we're, they're, they're going to have to sort through probably Brian. I don't know the, the count on this, but I'm, I'm expecting the average person who posts a job is going to get 20 to 40 applications probably on average. I could be wrong. I don't know how high. I think, but I think, I think the average right now is about seven. So not as high as you might think. Oh, okay. There okay. are definitely opportunities that have more applications than others. Okay. All right. And so here's the thing: is that if I can be top in mind and I can be genuine, if I can be the first one or two applicants, and I thought if I can talk about this company's core values, if I can be that quick, that really is going to set me apart. And then the next thing I do in my formula is I start distinguishing myself. Uh, one of the first things that I say is I kind of separate myself from everyone else. I say, you know what, Brian? I say, James Bird Guest is not a speaker. They're like, what? I need a speaker. He's not a speaker. He's an experience. Okay? And then I say, these are three things that distinguish me. Um, I'm a sp if I'm a speaker, I'm not using PowerPoint. You know why I don't use PowerPoint? Because 99% of speakers use PowerPoint. I don't use PowerPoint whenever I train and whenever I speak. Only time I'll use PowerPoint is if I want to show an image or a quick little video. That's it. Other than that, you get me, you get the experience, you get handout. The other part of my formula is it's high energy and interactive. Now, now here's my data for that. How, why is it high energy and interactive? Because whenever I speak, it's going to be 70% interactive and 30% lecture, meaning people are going to be doing something and working through my concepts. And then the last thing is this. There's going to be a post-training action plan. When you leave a keynote or a training, I'm going, to, I'm going to have you think about what are the one or two concepts you're going to practice. Now, why am I doing this? Because every client, when they're spending three, whether they're spending 3000 or 30000 they want to return on that investment. Nobody wants to just spend money just, just to spend money. They want to return on the investment. So I try to give them and show them where is the return on that investment.
And that's what's now I'm not saying this is going to work for everyone, but this is kind of what works for me. Be top of mind, distinguish yourself, be genuine um, and just find ways to distinguish yourself from every other speaker. So you mentioned a lot of really great things in here, and there's a couple of uh, things I want to touch on. One is you mentioned that you do some research, and that's great. You use LinkedIn, also great. Um, if you have any connections on LinkedIn to the organization you're going to, a great tip is just to ask the person that you're connected to if they can give you any insights as to any initiative the organization might have going on right now. So you're right. right. There are, yep, are yep. always uh, initiatives with organizations. They use those acronyms. They've uh, you know, got special things going on at different times of year. And that information can be very valuable to you as a speaker when you're putting in an application to let the meeting planner know, I am familiar with your initiative, you know, X, Y, Z, and I think I'd be a great fit for this opportunity because – and just being able to mention that. I think definitely shows that uh, you're a professional, you know, that you know what you're doing. You're, you're not just trying to uh, bring in a canned presentation where you're not customizing at all. If you can't get in touch with uh, somebody directly that you know through LinkedIn, another great tip that I've uh, I heard, I think this was from uh, Vicki Sullivan, who's uh, been in the business forever. Um, she says, look for employee newsletters or uh, or other things that you might be able to find online, and that often will mention those types of things, at least let you know what's going on in the organization right now. So I think that's great to be able yeah. to do that. And just one <laughs> caveat, everybody listening, be sure you do not go outside of the speaker match system to contact the meeting planner unless they have explicitly given permission. If they provide their phone number, email address, and invite uh, questions and comments, great. Most meeting planners, however, request contact directly through the speaker match system, so please honor their wishes. Sorry I interrupted mm -hmm. you, James. No, no problem. And I know, uh, man, time is already flying. I, I just feel like I always say I'm a no-fluff type of speaker, so I need to give some people some more value, Brian. So can I share another concept really quick here? Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so one of the, and I, and it's part of the, um, um, one of the objectives, I wanted to talk about effective marketing campaigns for client engagement. So there's something I have that I, I put in there called the $4,500 email blast. Um, now what is that? So the $4,500 email blast is I sent out an email blast through my database and someone responded back very quickly and they never met me before. And they say they want to do it. What date, what time? And they cut me a check. For the, they cut me a check for 50% uh, of the amount, and then I got the other 50% when I got there, and that was it. We didn't even talk on the phone. It was an email. It was probably the fastest $4,500 I've ever made in my life. It was it was like it was like under it was probably like under a minute and a half. Now, <laughs> there, no, now here's the formula for this though. I call it I call it, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, here's my other triple threat formula for email. Okay. Write this down uh, if you're uh, taking notes. Timing, tailored, and tiers, okay, for email marketing. Timing, tailored, and tiers. Let me explain that. For one, you got to have the right timing. I only send emails. This is what I've learned. I've actually done some research on this. This was years ago um, when I was really focused on marketing like a cash cow consultant. Timing. You don't send emails to or an email blast 
out on a Monday or a Friday. It has to be a Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Thursday. Friday, everybody's disengaged, ready to go home. Most people who work, probably they're just there for the paycheck. They're ready to get ready to go home. It's Friday. They don't want to be thinking about that. Mondays, they're coming back from weekends. They're already overwhelmed with emails, and yours is just going to get archived or deleted. Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays have been the perfect timing. Also, I noticed that's when I deliver my most training as well, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So timing has to be uh, critical. Also, it has to be tailored. Now, when I send out, an, so I've got about 75,000 people in my, uh, what I call my, you know, my, my database that I use, um, kind of like a constant contact, whatever it is that you use. I use in, uh, FusionSoft, but whatever database you use is fine. You got to have a database. I got 70,000 people. Now, now, out of those 70,000 people, there are thousands of superintendents from school districts. There's people from the Army. There's people from the public sector, private sector. I can't just email blast out a shotgun approach to, hey, James Bird guest, I got a new training topic. Anybody want this? Anybody want this? What I do is I tailor my message to that industry. For example, I will write an email blast out just for a hospital's group. I may have 5,000 people in my database that are just hospital leaders and administrators. I send them a message. I send a message just to the military uh, group that I have. So I categorize all my customers. I send a message just to corporations, excuse me, and I send a message just to like government or state agencies in a sense. So I tailor that. And when you tailor it and when you use words that they use, um, you can, you, you, it's almost like going fishing, Brian. If you're trying to fish for bass or crappie or whatever, you have to know what they like, <laughs> whether it's a jig or a minnow. Mm -hmm. You have to give them – you can't just say, well, hey, I'm going to put, um, I'm gonna put a, just a big minnow over here, and you're fishing for small crappie, delicate crappie. They're not, it's too big for them. They don't want that. They want something that's just for them. If you're going to use a jig, it has to be the right color. Now, I'm saying fishing because I'm going fishing this week because uh, I love going fishing. Um, so I'm already thinking about crappie and going fishing in Oklahoma. But um, it's the same concept, though. You have to have the right bait for whoever it is you're trying to catch. You can't just have a general bait and just try to hope somebody just jumps on it and bites it. So you have to have the timing. You have to have the – it has to be tailored to them. And the last one is important, tiers. Now, what do I say tiers? Write this down. When you're marketing, don't market to positivity. Market to pain. I'll say that again. When you are marketing as a speaker or consultant, however you want to frame yourself, don't market to positivity, market to pain. Let me explain that. Some speakers send out email brines that sound like this. Hey, empower your employees or 10 great ways to you know, empower your employees or, you know, hey, I can really train your managers to be better leaders. And I don't market like that. I market to the pain that an HR director or an executive or a CEO is feeling from their people. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I, I may send out a market uh, message like, um, you know, 10, 10 mistakes managers makes that will get your company sued, right? I may, I may send out, I'll send out something like that. Now, a C, if I'm a small CEO of a small company and I'm sending it to that segment, he's like, because when I say small companies, because a lot of small companies don't have HR departments. Um, and I know because mm -hmm. I work with some of them. 
And here's the thing. They don't know and because they don't have HR departments. They don't they're kind of doing HR kind of on the fly as needed. And they don't they make a lot of mistakes. They you know, there's a lot of things that take place that they weren't aware of because they're so busy generating revenue. So I and also I'll send it out to a small company. I'll say, hey, 10 manage 10 mistakes new managers make. They could get your company sued. And that gets their attention because they're like, oh, man, we've done some of those things. I need to bring them in here to share with my my managers that, hey, you can't talk to this. You're discriminating against the protected classes. You can't use these ethnic jokes. You can't use these type of harassment things. I, and Brian, this was like um, these were like this was like a small company that was uh, in the oil and gas industry uh, in the West Texas area. And they weren't realizing that they were breaking all type of laws. But they were so small and they were a fast growing company. They didn't have time to really do it until they start getting messages from me that not that didn't market the positivity. I marketed to potential pain or another pain might be, um, you know, it could be it could be anything about um, how to uh, email is another big one that's really hot right now. Uh, people know how to write tactful emails. So a lot of times what I'll do is uh, in an email. I'll, I'll put uh, RE, which is like I'm replying back to someone. So when they get an email, they think it's a reply. And I, I think the last one I put in there was um, we need to talk or something like that. Or And they immediately got their attention because I got a lot of opens on that. And, it, and I gave a list of all the non-tactful things that people put in an email. And then I said, uh, more than likely, your managers have said this. For example, that's not my job or or. Uh, whatever it may be, something negative. And I talk about what if your managers were trained on how to speak tactfully in email to their employees. So I'm 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 kind of marketing to some type of pain that they might be experiencing or feeling. And that's what you got to really market to. Timing, tailored, and tears. Market, don't market the positivity, market the pain. And you'll find out, and it's almost like the news. And maybe that's the best example I can give. The reason why people watch the news, it's 99% negative. They don't market to positive. There's no positive news channel that you know that's competing with all the other news channels. <laughs> There's no all positive news channel. Why? It doesn't work. People pay attention to pain and negativity. So I know, it, and, that, and that's kind of uh, goes against you as a motivational speaker because you're all optimistic. We're all positive. But we have to focus right. on people's pain. <laughs> right, so I just wanted to throw that in there. All right, so we got a couple of people with hands raised. We also have a couple of items on our uh, on our agenda. Which would you like to tackle first? Um, are you? Oh, I'm sorry. Are you asking me, Brian? Or are you Are you talking to? Yes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I thought you said you had some questions. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you all the way. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, we'll go ahead and bring in a question. The first one is from. R. Donnelly. Go ahead. I think it's Robert. Is that right? No, it's Calvin. Oh, hi, Calvin. Sorry about that. That's okay. What's my question? question? Yes, my question is as a consultant, uh, how do you have any techniques to share to get past the uh, gatekeepers and get to the um, HR person that you need to speak to? Um, so how to get past the gatekeepers? Well, you know, I'm just trying to think of some past examples that, that I've kind of used to, so I don't really look at it like, I kind of really em employ the gatekeeper. What I, one of the things that I try to do is not, don't look at it like they're an obstacle, like you got to get past them. Start looking at them as like a partner. Because they're going to know a lot. And what I mean by that is it's 
if you want to build a rapport with them immediately, um, you want to be, you know, very conversational, help them, you know, um, because they can kind of be the eyes and ears for you to help you get to that person. For example, they know when that person's availability is, the good days, the bad days. They know what's going on around the office. So try to look at it more like a partnership rather than an obstacle, like you got to get past them or over them. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're running into a person that's just not really, you know, um, um, trying to help you out, then you kind of almost got to be a little bit more persistent um, with that. Um, you know, you may have to change. You may have to really frame it in that person's interest when you're writing an email or you just may have to try to find, you know, try to find um, another way to be able to get that uh, person's uh, information. A lot of times, you know, if you're if you're cold calling, which I don't I don't think you should cold call. I'm, I've, I, I tried cold calling years ago and I stopped doing a long time ago. Um, I, it's always best to try to, you know, meet that person or, but if you want to just send a general email, you can usually find it. Usually if it's, if it's a public sector organization, it's all public information. So you can find it online. Now it's a, it's private sector. It's going to be a little bit hard, but I'd say you got to be persistent, but try to look at them as a partner rather than an obstacle. Try to really build rapport with them. Right. If you can try to influence them first. Thank you. Right. Uh, I got a couple of uh, tips for you to add in here, but before I do that, I just want to make sure that, James, you're okay with this. We're running up against the hour right now. Is it okay if I hold you on for another 10 minutes or so? Absolutely, yeah. Past the Absolutely. hour? Uh, okay, because we still got some to cover. I want to make sure we're giving value. That's right. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, add to the uh, getting past the gatekeeper. I got a couple of great tips for you. Um, the main thing that you want to do is get attention in a way that not everybody else is asking for attention. And one of the best ways to do that is to use direct mail. Uh, packages are great. A gatekeeper may open the package if they get a big uh, FedEx box or something like that, but a box with cookies or something like that is going to make it past the gatekeeper. And if there's a little something special in there for the gatekeeper, uh, or uh, maybe for the gatekeeper also, but if there's a, a little something special in there for the person you're trying to get to, it's going to get past the gatekeeper in some yep. way. They're going to make sure that me, that ends up on the desk. Um, yep, sometimes let me you can put that. something on the package that says, uh, you know, private or, uh, you know, for your eyes only, the package will make it past the gatekeeper and get onto that person's desk. Sorry, go ahead, James. Yeah, no, I'll say I'll definitely add to that. Now you got me thinking about what I've done. I've done so many things with that. I'm trying to think about my other strategies. So, and, and you know, you can send cookies. That's great. But what would also be great is if you've got a book. So every quarter I send out 10 books to 10 potential clients that I'm looking for. And I send it out to either the, the you know, key executives or whoever it may be. I'll send a book. I'll sign the book. And if it's a gatekeeper, you know, your, you know, your books don't cost you that much. Say, hey, I'd love to send a copy of the book to so-and-so, but I, but you know, I'd also like to send a copy to you because these admin assistants, they don't get a lot of training. They kind of get overlooked. So, Hey, you know, I wanted to send you something. They hardly ever get things like that just for them. So if you could send them a book and the gatekeeper a book, you again, now you're making them a partner. That's very true. You don't do this for everybody. You do this right. for the people that you really want to connect with. Right. You may not even get hired for this next event that they have, but you want to be on their radar. So right. if you know that this person hires people like you, then you want to be on their radar and make sure that you stay on their radar. So it is worth the small investment in sending something in the mail. And then another great way to get past the gatekeeper is by sending a fax. 
I know it sounds so old-fashioned. Who ever uses a fax anymore? And that's exactly the point. Nobody sends a fax. But when the fax comes through and it's directed to that person, it probably goes on the person's desk anyway. Maybe with a, can you believe we got a fax? <laughs> so, right. You just want right. to do something a little different. You And you can joke about it in the fax. You can say, I know, nobody ever uses a fax anymore, but I really wanted right. to reach you. And I thought that I'd give it this one last attempt because my emails weren't getting yep. through. You weren't returning my phone calls, so I'm just giving it one last shot because I think we'd make a really good team. So yep. have fun with it. Don't just send a, uh, a standard letter by fax and expect that that's going to get the same results. I think that you yep. need to acknowledge the fact that you know it's a little unusual that you're sending yep. a fax. And, and also, if you uh, haven't right. written a book, yeah. if, you, if, you have, if you have not written a book, don't let that stop you. S write a two- or three-page article on a, con on a concept that you're an expert in. Send an article, um, priority mail or FedEx, however you want to do it. It'll be cheaper because it won't weigh that much. Send a, send a report. Sign the report. Make it like it's a nice report talking about how you're adding some value, just giving away free information. And that's the law of reciprocity. Uh, Robert Cialdini wrote a book on this called Influence. The law of reciprocity, the more you give, 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 people feel compelled to either, hey, thank you, you get an email back, and therefore you've got a report built with that person. So I'll let that go from there. All right. Um, you have a uh, a strategy or you have some strategies for pricing so that you mm -hmm. can justify those higher fees and ah, not get paid yes. chicken dinner. Absolutely. Great one. So a couple of years Please ago, yeah. a couple of years <laughs> ago, um, there was a, there was an executive for a large, large company who said, OK, I want to do. She says, I'm having my department leadership meeting and I want to explore having you involved. Um, she says her, her main. So here's her pain. Remember, I said market to pain. Her pain was, she says, my team is pretty high functioning. These are all kind of senior level leaders, but they spend a lot of time down in the weeds. And what that means is she's saying is they're focusing on low value activities when I need them to be more strategic. Uh, in their business, because their business was really focusing on, you know, doing some things creative and strategic. She says, um, um, and and I had a book on strategic, you know, a, um, a, an e-book on strategic leadership. And she was like, okay, I want to bring you in for, you know, maybe just for a half day, four hours, you know, you know, what's your fee? And I told her, you know, my fee plus the books would be $10,000. And she was like, she responded back and she was like, okay, if I assume, um, you're having five hours of prep time and four hours to present. That's like a thousand dollars an hour. And she put that in parentheses, like, which I think is high. Um, she says, are you open to negotiating your rate? And I said, well, yeah, I'm open to negotiating. Um, and I, then I said, well, let me, let me also share with you how to kind of how I put together my, my fees. And what I did was I sent her kind of an outline. And the, one of the first things you have to do is write this down, determine the cost of the current situation. I'll say that again. Figure out the cost of the current situation. And the formula for that is usually the the people involved, the salary of the people involved, plus the amount of time or times the amount of time. And I'll give you an example of that. What I did was, Brian, if you take 10 senior level leaders of a, of a pretty large corporation, I found out the average salary for them was about $150,000. Okay. So I could break that down to an hourly rate. And I said, okay, I can estimate how much time are they spending in the weeds. Let's say they work about, on average, 10 to 12 hours a day. I could just do an estimate. And I, and, I'm, and I wrote this out just like for her. I said, 
if these guys are working 12 hours a week, if they're spending times in the weeds based on based on the uh, the data that I found, whether it's HR data or historical data, they're spending about 40% of their work time in the weeds. And I was able to get a number for that. I said, your 10 leaders are costing you about $50,000 a month in what I call focusing on low-value activities. Okay, If I were to come in for a half a day, and let's say we measure the return on the investment. If I came in for a half a day, and let's say three months following the training, you're finding out that they only improved by 60%, not even 100%. Okay, And I know it's kind of hard to see this, guys, with numbers if you're not following along, but I could, I could share this as well. But just kind of follow along with me. If they only improve by 60%, I could take that, and the number I have here, it's 30000 divided by the cost of my training, which is 10000 That's a 299% return on the investment. And I broke this down to her. First of all, I knew my audience. I knew she was a data-driven person. So what did I do, Brian? I gave her data, something that she liked, something that she could relate to. And when I broke it down to her like that, she was shocked and amazed. Okay? And what happens? She brought me in. She brought the, the e-books, and I got $10,000 for four hours. Okay? Uh, but what I did was mm -hmm. I, I, I focused her I, – I focused her – I had her focus on the pain of her situation. I said, this is what it's costing you for having your senior level leader stuck in the weeds. I know you know they're stuck in the weeds. We can agree on that. But let me tell you how much it's costing you now. Now, let me show you how much it can cost you to actually fix this and how you're actually getting a return on the investment. And she was, she was amazed by it. The average speaker won't do that. They won't even know how to do something like that. They'll just say, well, you know, that's kind of my fee. And, or they'll say, you know, hey, I got 10000 Well, I say 10000 you know, your but well, what's your budget? Well, my budget is more like six. Well, okay, um, I can do six this time. I mean, the average speaker will do that. Why? They don't want to lose the revenue. <laughs> that, that brings me to something else. If you are going to discount your fee, don't you dare discount your fee for free. And what I mean by that is whenever you discount your free your fee, you take away some value. And I can't emphasize that enough. Otherwise, people will realize that you're not really you're not credible. Your fee is just an illusion. You're, you're, in other words, some some speakers, your fee is whatever a customer tells you your fee is. Why? Because you're willing to take anything. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong, because I used to be there. You're like, man, I don't want to give up. You know, my fee is five thousand, but they only got three. I'm available. So I might as well do it for three. But what happens is you start being known for, oh, just, just tell him you can't do that. And, you know, just, just, just tell him you're going to do 2000 He'll take that. Right? And now you don't have – can you imagine going into a Macy's and saying, I don't want to pay $50 for the polo shirt. Can I, give you, can I give you $35 for it? You know, Macy's like, no, it's $50. Well, no, let me, let me give you $35 for it. You know, they don't say, well, we're not going to get another customer. We, we'll just give them $35 for it. No, you have to you, – you, 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 if anything, you're earning respect and you're earning credibility. And, and it really, to me, it increases your value. Because people don't see you just fluctuating your fee based on whatever they need. So when you, whenever you discount your fee, take away some value. Okay? Well, you know what? If you can't do it for ten thousand, I can do it for five. But you know what that means? That means you're not going to get this. You're not going to get this, and you're not going to get this. Therefore, they can see. Okay, he is for real. Okay. So if you if you take away if you if you discount your fee, take away some value. It uh, it reminds me of the uh, the old story about uh, Tesla and Ford. Do you know that? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, enlighten me, Brian, on that so, one. So apparently, this is a a, a very old uh, 
legend is that uh, Nikola Tesla visited Henry Ford at his factory when Ford was having some kind of difficulty with their machinery. And Tesla came to help identify the problem because they, the, the Ford engineers and other people could not figure out how to fix this, uh, this problem with their machines. And it was costing them lots of money every day that the machine was not working and doing what it was supposed to do. And Tesla just walked up to one of the machines and made a small X in chalk in front of a, uh, a panel and said, your problem is right here. And sure enough, the problem was behind that panel. They got everything fixed up. And when Ford got the bill, it was for $10,000. And Ford asked for a breakdown of the bill. Tesla said that $1 was for marking the wall with an X, and the other $9,999 was for knowing where to put it. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. And you have to be willing to stand by that. That's a great, that's a great story. You've got to be willing to stand by that. Um, you know, otherwise you just become known as a, you know, a, a speaker who really doesn't have a fee. You know, your clients tell you what your fee is. So, yeah, great story. All right. We're going to take one more question and then, uh, one more question from a listener and then we'll get to a final question with you. Okay. Uh, this is a call from North Carolina. Go ahead, caller. We hear you. Hello. They put the phone down also. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we tried. And uh, Trevor, I'll give you one more chance. Trevor, is that you there? Nope, not ready for us. <laughs> All right. Well, we tried. All right. So before I let you go, uh, I always like to uh, to cover any mistakes that you have uh, that you have come across that you'd like to warn other speakers about uh you know what what kinds of cons uh, what kinds of mistakes have you seen in marketing consulting speaking somewhere uh that you would like to let uh you know you have some advice for helping speakers to avoid that the biggest one is they, they the biggest mistake i see people make and the one that i've made is you don't respect your value you don't you don't it's a lot of speakers don't respect their value and what i mean by that is um you know, if you if a company was to hire a big com a big firm like a McKinsey co uh, consulting company or Harvard, you know, because of their names are like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to come in and they're going to tell you, hey, we'll solve this. We'll do this. But this is what our fees are going to be. If you wanted something extra, you want extra consultation, it'll be this, this and this. What happens with a lot of speakers, they're so excited to get a couple thousand dollars. The client starts asking them for doing this, 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 and this. And, and again, when, and I'm talking consultants as well. You get the consultant, you get the two or three days of training, or you get the, the, the one-year contract, and now they're asking you to do this, do this. And now you're almost becoming an employee, but you're not adding additional revenue. And you know why? Because you're afraid to bill them for extra because you don't want to feel like, I don't want to nickel and dime them. You're just glad you got it. But you have to realize your time is your, is your, is your value. And your your expertise is your value, and you have to understand that yeah people people are willing to pay for that. Um, so many so many speakers stop speaking for free, and what I mean by that is here's the thing: I, there's nothing wrong with speaking for free, and, and I know sometimes you can speak for free because it can generate additional um, you know business and things like that. But you don't want to become known as a free speaker, and that's a lot of a lot of beginning speakers make that mistake. 
Um, don't get me wrong. My, my first speaking engagement was only $300 at a high school in Dallas. It was only $300. I remember it. I was speaking about marketing to some high school students. But you don't want to become known as a free speaker, okay? Be very strategic when you do speak for free. Uh, get access to a customer database. Get reference letters. Get something in return. Be able to sell your books or your reports. Get something in return for your value. Let let them know that okay, I don't, I'm not going to speak for free. I will. You need to you know provide some type of honorarium, whether it's five hundred dollars or something it may be, or donate to my favorite local charity. Let them know that you've, you've got you respect your value. Um, so I think that's one thing that I would say. Um, if I had to say something else, um, some different mistakes, it goes back to marketing. The biggest, you know, when I train a lot of different speakers, I mentor and train a lot of different speakers, the biggest mistake is they are exceptional speakers, Brian. They're top speakers, but the reason they're broke and the reason they have to work a full-time job and try to speak on the side, they don't know how to market. They're speakers. But they haven't recognized the business is marketing. <laughs> you got to recognize that. You can be the best speaker in the world. You can be better than Tony Robbins and Zig, all those guys, the late great Zig. You can be better than me, but I will continue to make, I will continue to be a millionaire and drive my Bentley that says my grind on it, right? And have my big house and build my pool. And, I, and I'll be, and I'm not bragging, I'm saying this because I'm not the best speaker in the world, but I'm damn near one of the best marketers of speaking. In, in, in my in that class of 1600, we say that class of 1600, there's only 1600 people in this country who are what I call solo millionaire entrepreneurs, meaning they have no employees, no employees whatsoever. And they and they are millionaires and they just run a business by themselves. Only 1600 of us do that. Why marketing wow. and knowing how to scale things? Well, and if you want to look advice. that up, look All that up. The information. Yep. All the information you've given us is great. Um, I, if uh, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, James, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, uh, sure. Um, you can. Um, I'm on. Um, you can. I'm on Twitter, uh, James Bird Guess. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. You, you can easily find me. Um, uh, you can feel free to email me, Bird at JamesBirdGuess.com. Um, you know, as well. So, or you can go to the website, cashcalconsultant.com. Uh, so I'm, I'm available all over. Absolutely. All right. Great. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I almost feel like I didn't give enough value because I wanted to give so much, but I'm, I'm hoping we get a lot of positive feedback on this, on this call. Yeah, I am sure we will. <laughs> if you listen to other podcasts, you're probably used, uh, you're probably used to hearing requests for iTunes reviews. These reviews are really important to us because they are the fuel that we use to bring on great guests and build our audience. And if you valued today's call or any previous interviews you've listened to, I would really appreciate it if you could take just a few minutes to go on to iTunes, search for Speaker Match, and click the review tab. Let others know what you think, please. It would mean a lot to us. Until next time, this is Brian Kaplovitz. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Speaker Match radio series, Success Strategies for Speakers from the Pros. Speaker Match is the leading provider of tools and services for emerging professional speakers. You can find more information about Speaker Match at www.speakermatch.com. 
Our toll-free number, if you prefer to reach us by phone, is 1-866-372-8768. International callers can reach us at area code 512-372-8768. Thank you again for listening, and we wish you the best in your speaking career.